welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. And today we're discussing Season 2, Episode 1, Jaloja, which was written by Seth MacFarlane and directed by Seth MacFarlane. Double duty. Mm-hmm. We have no new reviews this week, but keep in mind, if you would like us to read one of your reviews on an upcoming episode, all you need to do is go to Apple Podcasts, rate the show with five stars, and write a review down below. If you'd like to email us, you can do so at quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod, and you can hop into the Discord at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord, where we have a channel to talk about Quantum Drive and just the Orville itself. So go ahead and do that. Before we hop into the episode, Katie's got trivia. And I I don't know. I'm excited we're on season two. I am too. Season one was good and season two amps it up. Mm-hmm. I just felt all warm inside when we when we watched this episode. So, okay. So I got some fun facts for us today. Bordis, I was curious if this is the first time that we had heard about Mocklin's urinating once a year. Mm-hmm. But it, it isn't. He did mention it once in the episode Old Wounds. Yeah, it did come up really quick. It was kind mm-hmm. of a throwaway line. But yeah, they're paying that off now. Yeah. There's a song that plays through the episode called As Time Goes By, and it's by Dooley Wilson. And it's a piano song that is played throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. And some people think it pays homage to a character from Casablanca named Rick, who is in a similar romantic situation that Ed's currently in. Hmm. I believe that song is in Casablanca as well. Mm-hmm. So, I've never seen Casablanca. I have not either. It's long, I think. <laughs> I don't know, though. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I know it's old. That's as much as I know. <laughs> it's old. It said 1939 is when it came out. That's yeah. another fun. That's a fun fact about Casablanca for you. <laughs> um, so according to Scott Grimes, who plays Gordon Malloy, in the, the original footage of Bordis urinating, there used to be a sound effect of him peeing. But it was edited out in post-production. I kind of wish that they left it in. (laughs) Yeah, I I saw some info about that and why they didn't. And it makes sense because Seth MacFarlane was saying that he didn't want the Mocklins to just be like a joke of a race. Yeah. And it kind of made them look bad. Yeah, I I could see that. All right. I agree now. But I I just the 12 year old in me would have loved that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I thought this was interesting. There was that moment between Bordis and Alara, and Alara calls Bordis a Yenta. Yeah. And so apparently a Yenta is defined as a person, especially a woman, who is considered to be meddlesome or gossipy, someone who meddles in the business of others, a busybody, gossip monger, or a matchmaker. I believe it's actually a Jewish term, too, mm-hmm. because uh, I know of it very well. Howard Stern uses it all the time. Does he? So, yeah, I hear it constantly mm-hmm. in, in reference to that type of person. Okay. See, I, that was the only time I've heard that term is on the Orville. So I was like, well, it'd be interesting to know, actually. Yeah, totally. Because the, they never revisit it. I was like, you just kind of have to know what a Yenta is. Exactly. Yeah. She doesn't explain it. She just kind of drops the term and then moves on. So we learned about dark matter, mapping dark matter in the Priya episode. Yep. Yeah. She kind of did that. So now... We have that, the Planetary Union has that knowledge, and that is why we now have a dark matter cartographer. Mm, yeah, so now it's like a new profession that they've learned how to do. I thought that was a cool callback, though. Like, they learned about that, and now it's a thing. Yeah, that's that's what happens when you bring future technology 
to a past time and now they take that tech and they absorb it and or skills and use that is that kind of like a butterfly effect though yeah maybe <laughs> but you know is, is priya oh god if we're gonna get in that conversation yeah, again <laughs> let's get philosophical <laughs> executive producer uh, david goodman said this about this episode I think our characters are more flawed than characters from Star Trek The Next Generation. They're still jealous. They still get pissed off. One of my favorite scenes is where Ed steals a shuttle and spies on Kelly and her new boyfriend, which was Seth's idea. To me, that is great. This captain on the ship borrowing a shuttlecraft to spy on his ex-wife while she is making out with her boyfriend. That is not something you would ever see Captain Picard of Star Trek do. No, never. <laughs> I just love that because I was like, oh, 100%. Captain Picard would never do that. Yeah, that's an accurate statement. And that's something we've talked about, too. The characters on Trek act much more evolved and mature, while mm-hmm. characters on the Orville could just be transplanted into our time. Yeah. I, I, I just love that because, yeah, we have come up with that allegory over time. And just yeah. it's a more human. Because, yes, they're evolved on Star Trek. But humans, are we going to ever really evolve to that level? I wonder. I wonder. (laughs) I hope, but I wonder. Not at this rate. There were actually several guest stars this episode. There were. And I recognized the voice immediately. The actor behind Olix. I'm worried that I'm not saying that right. I think it's Olix. Yeah, that's right. Is Jason Alexander. He's from Seinfeld. George Costanza. He is famous for his love of Star Trek, and he had a role on Voyager once. So I thought that was pretty cool. His makeup was awesome. It was awesome. He looked cool. Yeah, he did look cool. There's no hiding that voice, though. No, no. I, I heard it and I was like, oh, it's Jason Alexander. Yeah. So that was that was a fun little Easter egg in there. And then also at the restaurant, Muska's. The actor under Muska's uh, makeup, I don't know why I'm saying his name like that, is Will Sasso from <laughs> yeah. Mad TV. And he's done a bunch of, com- like, he's a comedian. He's wonderful. And I, that makes me happy that he was in this episode, too. Yeah. Uh, Mad TV and, like, Curly from the Three Stooges movie are probably, like, the oh, two yeah. things he's most known for. I loved Mad TV. And yeah. Will Sasso makes me laugh. So. And Will Sasso pops up all over the place. He he's just does. one of those guys. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys. You're like, hey, it's Will Sasso. But yep. it's it's always, like, a pleasant Yeah, thing. he's great. Yeah. Uh, there's also the actress Michaela McManus. She plays Lieutenant Janelle Tyler, the new dark matter cartographer. Mm-hmm. And the fun fact about her is in previous episodes, she played Talia, the Krill school teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not an uncommon thing. We've seen in Trek a few times where they've taken actors and put them under different alien makeup, like to play multiple aliens as well. Mm-hmm. But she's beautiful, and I would never have been able to tell without her Krill makeup on. Yeah. This is where I recognized her from One Tree Hill, obviously, because that's what I knew her from. I never watched One Tree Hill, so I I think there's a bunch of TV shows. I need to watch that in Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. Based on your recommendations, Mm -hmm. so I got to get on that. (laughs) And also, there's a new actor that joins the season named Chris Johnson, and he plays Cassius, Kelly's new boyfriend. Yeah. So those are all the fun facts and guest stars I have for this episode. All right. Getting into the episode. Captain Mercer is in the mess hall chatting with the bartender, Alex, while the song As Time Goes By plays on a nearby record player. Lieutenant Catan joins him and the two commiserate about their love lives and feelings of inadequacy. I thought they were hinting at something here. Me too. I was like, uh oh, Alara and the captain are going to get it on. Like, I thought. This was going to be a whole new storyline of Alara and Ed. I thought so, too. And you had brought up in the past how much it seemed like Alara had a crush on Ed. Yes. And I thought they were starting to pay that off here. I did, too. And it was kind of a little misleading because Alara's like, they always talk about my love life. And I was like, are they going to like do this now? 
now that Kelly's kind of out of the picture, yeah. is it going to be the Alara Ed show? But I mean, obviously throughout this episode, that never came to fruition. I think they were just commiserating about failed love lives. Seemed like it. Mm-hmm. Bordis approaches them and makes a request to Ed that they alter course and head to Mockless. He reminds Mercer that Mocklins only urinate once a year and it's his time. <laughs> I love Bordis so much. And I just loved Alex's line of like, oh, it's a party now when Bordis walks up. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, here comes bad news. <laughs> here comes the party. And uh, the music got all serious and then it launches into the opening credits. And I was like, honestly, I was like, that's really brave <laughs> of a show to be like, all right, we're going to start the season with Bordis going, it's my time to urinate once a year. Yep. And I was honestly just like ready to slow clap in my bed <laughs> while I watched this episode because good on you yeah i i actually really i thought it was refreshing yeah well it would be when he gets to Moculus. <laughs> in the briefing room ed instructs the senior staff to treat their current mission seriously bordis then fills them in on the ceremony which is called the jaloja or the great release it requires traveling to a place on Moculus that he chose as a child where he will urinate in front of friends and family he invites them all <laughs> I know. I can't even read it without laughing. It's so good. He invites them all to the ceremony as well as the celebration that follows. Ed continues by saying that the union has approved the diversion as it's on their way to Outpost 58 where they'll be picking up their new dark matter cartographer. There's a lot happening. There's a lot. Yeah. And I think there was also a scene where Kelly and Ed kind of talked about, I don't want to. Oh, is that after this? That's after part? this. Okay. Well, I think like it's interesting that it's obviously a Mocklin cultural thing, mm -hmm. but I honestly kept thinking about is, does he have to go really bad? Like until he gets there? Like I am honestly like, you know, on that car, like road trip where you're like, I really need to use the bathroom, mm -hmm. but there's no bathroom. Like, is it roughly a year and he yeah. goes when he starts to feel it or is there a date <laughs> they set and it just works like clockwork? Yeah. So whether in this boardroom, I'm just my brain is like, wait, so when like I'm just trying to understand it. But I I, I love learning about the different cultures. Of, yeah. Even if it's just that they urinate once a year. Yeah. I'm so curious how it pans out. And the fact that there's a party and <laughs> there's a spot he picks when he's a child. And it's just this crazy big event. It's like a birthday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. The thing that hooked me and kind of kept running around in my brain is, is he like tethered? to that spot now like can he not go too far away because he's got to get back to that urination spot every year mm -hmm. and what if the union had said no because something was going on does he have to release on the ship if he has to release on the ship what happens there like <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot to this that, there's a lot of questions i have it's kind of like when john goes i have a lot of questions yeah, like exactly and, I, and it's 100 percent how i felt it seems like what you felt watching it just like because <laughs> yep. like what if they altered the course of the orville because there was a lull in things but what about resources and stuff for yeah. just altering the course and going to mockless it's time to figure out how to use mocklin urination to power the quantum drive yeah i think that this is new technology we need to work on yeah kelly goes to ed's office to have a conversation about the two of them ed stops her and confesses that he's willing to give them another shot kelly then drops the news on him that she's seeing someone which embarrasses him without revealing the mystery man's identity she says that she'll be bringing him to bordis's geloja party despite ed again professing his love 
Kelly gives him some very rational reasons why the two of them can't be together, regardless of how either of them feels. The love and timing thing was interesting to me because in a way I agree with Ed. Like if you love somebody, Mm -hmm. the BS line of like timing isn't right. If you care enough about somebody, you'll like make it work. But I also understand (laughs) from Kelly's perspective that the whole conflict of their job titles and the situations they're being put in. But I also feel like Kelly's kind of like dragging him along a little bit by not You know, like kind of stringing him along a little bit. It's time for her to lie and be like, no, I don't have feelings for you anymore. Just to kind of break it off. But that has no dramatic tension there. (laughs) I know, but I feel bad for Ed because he's like, he's obviously back in it. And I feel that Kelly does have feelings for him, but she is seeing. So is that fair to Cassius? It's not fair to Cassius, but she's, she's justifying it to say that, hey, if I start dating someone else, then maybe that will overtake. And people do that all the time. I'm not saying it's right, but I am saying yeah. it's a common strategy used by people. And I guess, I don't know. I just, I thought this whole conversation was very interesting just from the, it was a more serious conversation about love and timing and things. than mm. I feel like the show has dove into in the past. And I, I kind of appreciated it that, cause I was like, this is a very real thing that is complicated and, I want to be that person screaming at the TV like, Kelly, just say that it's time for him to move on. And I mean, it's yeah, I guess it's just a very real problem. Mm-hmm. But it's similar to how they ended season one. It just is, the, yeah. I can't. So it's kind of like he keeps trying to get her to agree. And she's like, no, these are the reasons why. So I can understand from her perspective mm-hmm. him being a little frustrated. Yeah. At Outpost 58, the Orville picks up Lieutenant Janelle Tyler, their new dark matter cartographer. She and Alara are chatting when they bump into Mercer and make their introductions. I uh, I really liked Ed's line where he's just like, we're on our way to watch our second officer go to the bathroom. <laughs> and that was, yeah, I know. <laughs> that's what we're doing right now. She's like, okay. I, I do think it's interesting that he just is so casual about it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, we're going to go watch him pee. It's fine. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> Alara brings Tyler to the bridge to meet Grayson and Gordon is immediately struck by the sight of her. As Tyler takes a look at the navigational array, Gordon introduces himself and does a horrible job of trying to flirt with her. Oh, is that what it was called? Flirting? It was the most (laughs) cringe flirting I've ever seen. It was so good, though. And just, uh, you know, when I'm not playing my guitar, I just just like... (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, it was... It was cringy, but I thought it was hysterical. It was. It was very adorable. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I kept watching Kelly behind them waiting for her to react to gordon's behavior yeah but she didn't like just look up and be like what are you doing (laughs) this is inappropriate (laughs) because he's so loud too i know he is really loud i was also i like i just enjoyed the banter because it is an accurate portrayal of how people flirt yeah people that aren't (laughs) me totally (laughs) flirt like that yeah i totally don't ever flirt like that (laughs) also nope Meanwhile, Isaac is giving Ty a piano lesson when Claire returns home. Just then, Marcus and his friend James enter and ask to go to the simulator. Claire sends James home after he disrespects her, which upsets Marcus. She vents her frustrations about Marcus to Isaac, who isn't overly helpful. He does, however, play as time goes by on the piano. I thought it was so cute when Isaac was teaching Ty how to play the piano. Mm -hmm. I was like this. I have that thing with robots or like because data was like this for me on Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm like, 
I get attached to them because I, I just, I don't know if I'm just fascinated by the fact that they're not human, mm-hmm. but that they're trying to understand humans. And I also like to try to understand the human condition. So maybe I relate. To, I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm just saying I thought it was adorable. And I love that Isaac is doing something that he doesn't understand is heartwarming. Mm. But it's just so like caring and how like as a teacher, he was kind and he wasn't berating Ty like you could do better, like things like that. I mean, if Ty was not good at it, Isaac would have been just as straightforward Mm -hmm. and been like, you need to practice more. You are not improving fast enough. Mm -hmm. I just enjoyed that whole scene. And then James, though, can we talk about James? Oh, boy. And his wimpy handshake, which I noticed I like how that's, I'm like, I just, I don't know. He called her pain in the Mortis. Yeah. And that really bothered me. I don't know if I am getting older and I just feel like children disrespecting anybody. I think anybody disrespecting anybody bothers me. But like this was just, it made me uncomfortable. And also the fact that he whispered it poorly and clearly intended for her to hear it. I do think Dr. Finn handled it as best as she could. Yeah. I mean, it was just, yeah. I uh, I really like the zoom out here from the window, and it zoomed out to the whole Orville, and you kind of get a sense of where that room is on the ship mm-hmm. and everything. I really liked that. I love anytime we see any sort of living quarter situation in any capacity, <laughs> oh, like where they might be <laughs> located. <laughs> so, like, I, because, like, as a child, that was my dream, was like, I'm going to live on a spaceship, obviously, mm-hmm. and just being able to live vicariously through it. I think it's super cool that they're showing more of that. Yeah, agreed. Later, Marcus, James, and another friend are inside empty crew quarters where James is hacking a food synthesizer. They use it to get a bottle of vodka and run away with it. Bad influence, obviously. Obviously. I just feel like wouldn't there be an alert of some kind that goes off like, hey, I guess it's a food synthesizer. Maybe it doesn't matter. And he hacked it. So whatever (sighs) alert there could have been, he might have taken care of that in the process. I just have so many questions, like how they got inside the the quarters that weren't occupied. They might just be open. I know where he got the tools, how this child is just running rampant, (laughs) getting vodka. I mean, granted, it's kids looking for trouble. Kids looking for trouble will find trouble. Yeah, so I I did think this was interesting. Seeing the tech inside of the food synthesizer Mm. was really cool. Yeah, that was nice. So I loved seeing that. Looked very similar to the isolinear chip setup of Mm -hmm. Star Trek things. I'm also, I was, it's it's sad because I've grown attached to Ty and Marcus because it's Dr. Finn's kids. And I'm like, no, James is obviously not a good influence. Let's just reevaluate. Dr. Finn's a good people. Let's just... In the mess hall, Gordon is trying to get info about Lieutenant Tyler from Alara, who suggests he get some advice from someone who's better equipped to provide it, like John. Gordon heads to engineering to ask John for help, to which he agrees. It was... <laughs> John's interesting and just... He's like the ladies' man of the ship, I guess. Apparently. And he, he dated... I can't even remember the A term. A two-headed but the, alien. I don't remember exactly yeah. which one. And neither of them knew about... <laughs> Neither of them knew about that they were each dating each other, but one of them liked hiking, and so he just was out. Yeah, so that's I, the deal breaker. <laughs> that was the deal breaker is hiking. Um, but I, I can kind of relate to that. I don't I don't enjoy hiking as much as I did as a child <laughs> either. <laughs> so Cassius, a school teacher on board the ship, is in the middle of instruction when Grayson stops by. After the class leaves, she greets him with a kiss and tells him she has something to ask him at dinner. What could it be? Yeah. I also I I mean she's being playful and stuff. 
uh, I like Cassius. Yeah. As like his character. I enjoy him. And I wanted to ask you this because you're a teacher. Mm hmm. What did you think of like the classroom on the ship? I didn't look into it too deeply. It looked pretty standard, honestly. I looked into it, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just don't want to be in classrooms anymore, Katie. I get it. But like where the blackboards would be, it was like cool screens with things on them. And there was like a galaxy just floating there. Yeah. Like a projection. I thought, I don't know. I just thought it was cool, again, to see a different part of life on the ship that we don't normally see like a teaching classroom. True. We've only seen a crow one at this point, actually. True. Be interesting to compare those two, though. In his office, Ed is scrolling through old photos of him and Kelly and decides to head to the shuttle bay to take one out on his own for a bit. As Alara hands in a report to Bordas, he proposes setting her up on a date. Too curious to turn it down, she agrees. So we're doing like a little bit of jump around mm -hmm. to some different characters because this episode has a lot of different storylines. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed and I really liked yeah. about this episode is that we're established with everybody on the ship mm -hmm. for the most part. We're jumping around and we're following more storylines. And I think it kept it like it went by really fast. And I just felt like I was always in, interested in what was happening next too. Um, this is when Bordis gets called a Yenta and, <laughs> and says like, I have no saying that the person he wants to set Alara up with is also having trouble in the romantic field. Yeah. And also um, that his seed is fertile and that he <laughs> yeah. has no other reasons to believe otherwise. Because Bordis thinks that's all that matters, apparently, when it comes to mating. Yeah, I did think it was interesting because this is something that Bordis is doing, like setting somebody up is not something, but it, in a way, I think it was a little bit selfish because he said going to a Jaloja party alone is bad luck. And... You know, I thought it was interesting. Alara's oh, like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. And I like her rationale too. Like, this is so odd to me that, yeah, okay, I have to see where this is going. Yeah. Boy, did it pay off. <laughs> During their dinner date, Kelly asks Cassius to accompany her to Bordis's Jaloja party. While they discuss the implications of going public, a shuttle drifts by outside with Ed looking on. When he gets caught by her, he activates the shuttle's cloak. Annoyed by the intrusion, Kelly suggests that they head to the simulator. Upon arrival, they catch Marcus, James, and their friend drinking the vodka. First of all, I loved the drive-by. That was hysterical to me and also awful in so many ways. But the casual clothes. Mm. Women definitely get better future fashion. I'm saying, you know, mm -hmm. it happens. Yeah. Cash's shirt was not one of my favorites. Nope. But, like, it is interesting. Like, I feel like women's clothes is more, like, sleek and sexy. And, like, the men's shirts is, like... A square box with a yeah, like what are you doing with a guy's on? shirt that's gonna make it that different from modern shirts? Like, what are they really gonna do to evolve male fashion? I know, but I feel like it still might need some time to evolve. Oh yes, um, it needs plenty yeah. more time. But it is. It's kind of like a square shirt with like a brooch on it, and I do feel like maybe in the future that is like the in trend. That is what you buy. It must be or synthesize. I, I was a little worried that Ed didn't have the forethought to put on cloak before even going mm -hmm. by the window. Granted, the bit doesn't work without it, but come on now. If you know, that's clearly why he was going out. Yeah, the bit was really good. I enjoyed it, but I do agree. I'm like, why wouldn't he put the cloak on? He's doing a drive by. Like, wouldn't he want to see what's up? And Kelly clearly, I'm curious why Kelly didn't say anything right away. I think she didn't want to worry him. Yeah. Because it seems like Cassius has a pretty 
straight head about like it's hard for him yeah also is she gonna be like hey by the way the captain of our ship is outside the window spying on us like that is that's a line right there yeah and i do feel like there's already a line that's been crossed because of how they Mm -hmm. their relationship essentially it's such gray area in the finn's quarters claire is reprimanding marcus and trying to figure out why he's been acting the way he has lately while isaac looks on not willing to speak up she sends him to his room the way marcus glanced over at isaac during this Mm -hmm. it made me wonder if marcus disapproves of isaac's presence all the time it is interesting that isaac was there for that because it is a it's a personal matter he did say like thank you for letting me observe it but at the same time it's like yeah it doesn't seem like the right time from the kid's perspective no like for dr finn i understand but like there are moments that during like childhood development that probably you don't want the robot watching Mm -hmm. the mistakes that you're making and i think he probably felt uncomfortable like i'm being reprimanded in front of you know isaac and i think it's probably because he has an affection for isaac Mm -hmm. and that's my takeaway from it. That would make sense too, yeah. So I could see that. And I mean, I would be uncomfortable having an audience for something like that. Yeah. That you're already probably a little bit ashamed of and being told like you're a bad kid, essentially. Yeah. I love Dr. Finn's hair, though. I thought her hair looked great. <laughs> I really like Ty's intrusion where he comes in. He's like, I want to watch Marcus get yelled at. But it makes sense because Isaac's watching. So why couldn't Ty? That and kids do that all the time. They want to watch their siblings get in trouble. <laughs> I guess things don't change in space no. is it? in childhood. <laughs> we jump to Lamar and Malloy in the matter synthesizer room where John is making a mini zipper jacket for Gordon and giving him some more advice. You always go with one more zipper than you're comfortable with. There were a lot of zippers on that. Coat. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back when I used to do stand up comedy, I actually had a bit in my act similar to the conversation they have here about Gordon mm-hmm. having like an old stalker that he ended up dating at one point. I had a whole thing about that and there were a lot of similarities. So mm-hmm. I just thought it was really funny to see that like acted out in the show like this. I thought it was interesting too that the stalker ended up dumping him. Yeah. Later. <laughs> that was the punchline of my bit too. Yeah. That's how it ends. Maybe someone saw your no. bit. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> um I hope that there's video of this cuz I would love to see it. The stalker dating and dumping. I want to see your stand-up. Oh, no, there's none of none of that one. Oh man. I have some stand-up, but not of that. Okay. That bit. Someday I'm gonna harass you for it. I I enjoyed this because it was like a bonding thing between John and Gordon. I do think the zipper thing is hysterical because that coat had way too many zippers on it. But I think that it showed a little more insight into Gordon and John as characters. We were just talking about uh bad male fashion too. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I will say, though, the zipper coat, much better than Cassius's coat outfit. It was. This was like a Michael Jackson zipper coat. Yes. It was more like I could see being more hip and on trend in the club scene. In the mess hall, Dan approaches Alara, and she realizes that he's the one Bordis is setting her up with. She's clearly put off by the idea, but eventually gives in when she starts to feel bad for him. You know how I feel about Dan. You know how I feel about Dan. (laughs) Oh, I do agree with him, though. Like, you know, maybe there's something here. Like, give people a chance. And I feel like Alara was willing to write him off. I mean, granted, it could have been a personality thing. <laughs> Look, maybe Alara feels the same way about Dan that I do. And this was just her response to get out. I enjoy Dan so much, but I also feel so bad for Dan. I feel bad for him, too. But that doesn't mean I want to hang out with him. 
I want to root him on to be the best person he can be. And I, I liked that Alara was like, all right, fine. Let's just go on this date. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Side note about Dan, because I did some research. Dan is played by actor Mike Henry, mm-hmm. and he actually voices Cleveland Brown. What? On Family Guy and the Cleveland Show. He is the voice of Cleveland Brown. That's amazing. Right? Now I love Dan even more. That's the first thing I like about Dan. All right, moving on. (laughs) Dan, I love you. (laughs) I think we're leaning into our love-hate of Dan even more than needed. Yeah, I know. Now now it's a rivalry. (laughs) Now it's just a thing. (laughs) Kelly confronts Ed about the shuttle drive-by, which he denies at first, but then admits. They again argue about how they can't be together before Ed dismisses her. (laughs) I like how you try to lie about it, too. Mm. Like, oh, Gordon... So, yeah, it's a thing. And then we see, oh, I didn't take the shuttle out. And I was like, that's so awful. Don't lie about it. And then he does own up to it eventually. And then he, the thing I loved about it is he called Cassius two hand tea man. Oh, yeah. Because he's like, I've seen him drinking with a cup of tea with both of his hands. I don't know why. I just think it's funny because it's, it's very human to pick apart the person. It is. I also, I picked up another thing in that same idea where he asks how to pronounce it. And as soon as Kelly tells him the right one, he says the wrong one just to undercut it. And that's where I was struggling with at the beginning of our episode is I'm like, is it Cassius or Cassius? And then he does it to say it wrong on purpose. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it does show like when you when you have feelings for somebody and then they're dating somebody else, your instinct is just to like pick apart the other person. Yeah, that's just the enemy, basically. Yeah. Even if they're a good person. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was a really well done scene. I thought it was interesting that he dismissed her too. Mm. But he shouldn't have done a drive-by. No, absolutely not. <laughs> he shouldn't have done a drive-by. James's parents meet Claire in her office to discuss the incident with the boys. But they're under the impression that Marcus was the ringleader and hacked the synthesizer. After a brief argument, they agree to settle the matter in a parent-teacher conference. I'm not a parent, but this stresses me out. Like, just... Fiercely believing in your children. I get it. You want to support and lift them up and stuff. But just like clearly James was the ringleader. And I felt like it was interesting how Dr. Finn reacted because it was very defensive, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is also a natural response to that. But just, oh, boy, it just it made me uncomfortable because I was just like, oh, I don't I would never want to deal with a situation like this. And I've seen a lot of parents like this over the years that are just in pure denial about what their kids are capable of. I bet that's interesting. Oh, it's mm. it's fun. <laughs> In Cassius's quarters, Kelly is getting annoyed with his evolved attitude towards Ed's behavior. She storms out when he suggests that she calm down. I had a visceral reaction when he said calm down in the episode. So I can confirm that you don't say that to a lady. So. No, you do not. <laughs> I don't feel like saying that to anybody who's upset is, a, no. is something that'll make you go. But I... I actually wrote in all caps, calm down a little in my notes because I can understand. And she actually handled it pretty well, I thought. She's mm-hmm. just like, she left, obviously. But I felt like she didn't blow up at him. She just kind of removed herself from the situation. Yeah, probably the right approach to take. Her yeah. attitude in general here kind of really bothered me, though. In what way? It's something that I've definitely encountered more than once in previous relationships. Like, she she wants him to feel a way that he clearly doesn't and is mad because he doesn't. That being said, at the same time, he could at least validate her feelings instead of kind of dismissing them and be like, hey, let's talk logically, because it's it's mm-hmm. obvious Ed was misbehaving. 
you can't necessarily defend that. So he's not taking the right approach either. But yet I still found her kind of like, why do you have to be like saying that someone is evolved and that's a bad thing? Yeah. You can't be like, stop being a good person. Like what? Yeah. I mean, Cassius, I feel like he was dealing with it with a more mature and level head yeah about it and i do feel like the way that kelly reacted to it was probably how i would react to something when i was 19 Mm. like in it like when i'm thinking in terms of like maturity wise because she made the choice to not be with Ed, she like and to want him to be jealous and like it's just it doesn't seem it's misplaced yeah i feel it is yeah john creates a training exercise for gordon in the simulator by creating a bar with women for him to approach John suggests being creative, which Gordon interprets as lying horribly. After his lie works, John says that he's ready. I li- he's like, yeah, I can't tell her that I'm dying. But then also the fact that it's like, but you're thinking on your feet. It's like improv. I'm like, eh, I don't think he's quite ready yet. <laughs> no, no, they wanted to rush through that scene. It was a fun scene, yeah. though, in general. I thought it was a little odd that a difficulty change meant that there was a total replacement of the person. Like, yeah. why couldn't it just still have been the original lady and then have her behavior change? I think that would have been more interesting. It was interesting. It was a Salayan, too. Yeah. So that that was intriguing to me, too. Also, one from a blonde to a girl like black or brunette hair. Interesting. I wonder what they're saying here. <laughs> I wonder what they're saying, too. Also, why I thought it would have been interesting. Just keep it as the same person. Yeah. Because it also gives that person a little more to do acting wise. Like, hey. Uh, I just played this one. Now I'm going to play the more cold one. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was a way to show off another Salayan, too, besides Alara. Yeah. It could have been the Salayan the whole time, too. That is true. I'll have to ask Seth MacFarlane next time I talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Claire seeks out Isaac to vent to him yet again. By the end of the conversation, Isaac asks to observe the parent-teacher conference, and Claire is happy to have someone along to even the odds. Yeah, I get that she wants to have somebody else because that's the other thing, too. The parents said we know it's hard being a single mom mm-hmm. and just like really undercutting Dr. Finn. So I get her. I get that she wants to have the support because she does feel ganged up on, especially with parents like that, that are demeaning of ugh, no wonder James is the way that he is. <laughs> uh, that's the other thing I often encounter. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So when I yeah. meet those parents, it's rarely a surprise. Mm-hmm. Claire's also projecting a bit here i think she's reading into this as isaac being supportive when really he just wants to witness another encounter between them it's like me when i misplace the with ty playing the piano Mm. like the heartwarmingness of it it's like the yeah it is like the projection of dr finn viewing it Mm -hmm. i loved when isaac answered her honestly when she's like do you think i'm a bad parent and he's like yes (laughs) i i was like you know it's interesting too though because He's just doing that from an analytical Mm -hmm. perspective. He doesn't know all the idiosyncrasies that go into being a parent. Yeah, the data suggests maybe you're not. Yeah. At Muska's, a restaurant aboard the ship, Alara and Dan meet for their date. Dan has written a poem for Alara and reads it to her. Alara is hesitant to give her honest opinion, but Dan insists it won't offend him. But of course it does. She steps out for a moment and immediately gets a text from him saying, I miss you. Okay, not Dan's finest moments, okay? (laughs) Um, the, the poem, I mean, Alara's analysis of the poem was pretty accurate, but you don't say that to someone, but Dan did push her to be honest. Yeah, that's, that's on Dan. I know that is on Dan. And I feel like, but here's how I view it. Dan has crippling self-esteem 
he's trying so hard to fit in and it i feel like he's empathetic and he he's trying so hard but he can tell people that they don't like him dan has a neediness that is a black hole that can't be satisfied that is my analysis of his character i feel like if he found the right help to get through it he would be okay but i feel like i see him trying so hard Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes me go, oh, I, I feel you, Dan. I'm so sorry. I, I wrote down poor Dan because I just want him to win so bad. Dan is his own worst enemy. If he wasn't trying so hard, he would probably get all those things that he wanted that he's trying so hard for. He self-sabotages, okay? Yep. And that poem should have been left for maybe the fifth, sixth, never date. I mean, <laughs> fifth, I don't know. Sixth, never, yeah. <laughs> More accurate. <laughs> Ed visits Cassius in his quarters to apologize for his behavior. During the conversation, Ed realizes they're actually quite similar and ends up giving him advice to patch things up with Kelly. That was big of him. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. I also, though, have conflict with this because it's not Cassius coming up with a romantic date. It's Ed. Yeah, one, it's not. And then two, how Kelly didn't see right through this Mm -hmm. is shocking. And the fact that you know, later on at the Jaloja party, she's like, wow, you won me back. You are forgiven. But Cassius never says, like, Ed told me to do. Like, it feels, it doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. It feels fabricated and that he's taking credit for something he didn't actually come up with. And yeah, I think that's what Ed wanted. Yeah. Because I think, I think there was something magnanimous on Ed's part here where he was like, I just want Kelly to be happy. Yeah. And in the end, Kelly would be happy because that's something that she loves and enjoys. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it was very big of Ed. I, I just think it's interesting how it went down. Just because I, if I was dating Cassius, I'd be like, I'd want him to come up with something that made me feel special, not recycle something from my past yeah. that made me feel special in a past relationship. Yeah, he should have taken that information and adapted it to what he knows about Kelly and gone Stepped with that. Stepped it up. Yes. You can't do the same thing. That is copying homework. You can't do that. Yep. (laughs) The conference is underway and the parents are at odds about who the trouble starter really is. Isaac's inquiries reveal an inconsistency between James's actual grades and the grades on his report card, which have been altered. With that knowledge in hand, it's concluded that James is in fact the guilty party. Ecstatic with the outcome, Claire invites Isaac to be her date to Bordas's party. Who boy. Yeah. Projection continues. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can see that Isaac's obviously like, of course, I want to do this. I want to ex- I want to investigate it more. Mm-hmm. I want to learn more about the human race because he did answer it. Like, if you would like me to, I think is how he replied. If that's what you would like. Yeah. Like, what does he care? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting because Claire's like elated. You help me exonerate Marcus. Oh, this is great. Like, you care. Like, it shows Isaac's logic and what he's doing is showing that he cares about Claire and the family. And so even though it's just like, hey, James hacked this, Marcus didn't. Logic says it's James, not Marcus, right. but she views it as he stood up for my family. And Right. If, if Isaac had found the opposite, would it still be caring? No. It, he's, Isaac's just stating facts. Yeah. I, it makes me wonder where it's going to go mm-hmm. because of how much she's growing very attached to isaac yes yeah they're spending a lot of time together especially when yeah when earlier she didn't even care for him yeah that's one of the things that's crazy Mm -hmm. is yeah it's ever since the planet when they that there's been this trajectory of spending time together totally 
Gordon attempts to approach Lieutenant Tyler, but instantly bails. Such a short scene, but so effective. Loved it. <laughs> oh, I feel like I, yeah, I, <laughs> yes, agreed. Just walk in, walk right out. <laughs> Done with that storyline. Easy. Mm-hmm. It was, it's great. I, I don't know. This whole episode has just been really fun. Yeah. On Mockless, the Jaloja ceremony takes place. Not much more to say about that. It was it was fairly uneventful, except for a bunch of chanting and then uh, the part that they cut out. Like you said, we don't hear the urination or anything. I'm actually glad they cut it out. Yeah, it would have been, I think, just a little bit too much. And they, you don't see it either. No. Like you don't see your. No, I was waiting for like it, that. but it didn't happen. Me too. Because there's like a cam back, yeah. and he's standing on this cliff, and I was like, "Are they gonna?" It's already funny. It's fine. Yeah. Um. It is interesting because. Topa's there and Clyden and they're so proud and I thought it was cool to see a little bit into that oh yeah realm of things too and just that Bordas felt like he wanted the crew to be there for something that big mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool I think Bordas doesn't wear stuff on his sleeve but he cares a lot yeah agreed the party begins with an alien playing as time goes by on the piano Kelly forgives Cassius Dan reads the poem to Gordon who sincerely loves it Claire and Marcus both thank Isaac for his assistance. Ed is once again at the bar talking with Alex when Lieutenant Tyler approaches and asks to sit with them. They raise their glasses to one another. The end. I loved that Gordon was being Dan's cheerleader. Mm -hmm. I was like, it doesn't hurt anything. But the fact that Dan's like, I'm going to write a book now. (laughs) I think that we all need somebody in our life that Gordon seemed genuinely excited about his poem. I think he was. And I think that was cool because it didn't seem fabricated. And it just goes to show that, yes, Alara thought it was a creepy poem, but it might just have been the wrong audience. It's the wrong context as well. Yeah. And I actually I enjoyed that because it, it gives me a little bit of hope for not just Dan, but just like I like that moment mm. between two two beings. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought it was interesting that uh, Lieutenant Tyler is cozy on on up to ed oh yeah they're setting up clearly setting up a love interest here because mm-hmm. i mean we thought it was a lar at the beginning but did a one 180 mm-hmm. and now we're at wait 180 yeah i think we're at uh lieutenant tyler it's interesting that she's just a- aboard like the ship and i i feel like could it just be her trying to get to know the captain better mm-hmm. like peace social or is it uh deeper than that i think just because of the way they bookend the episode, like you said, they start with Alara and him discussing relationships. Yeah. And the way that they end it in the same setting with Lieutenant Tyler, I think suggests mm-hmm. that kind of progression for them. That that it is implied. Mm. I also like the end here where they just kind of wrap up all the storylines with like these little mm-hmm. moments in the final scenes. Yeah, I like that, too. I, I There was a lot more going on in this episode. Yeah. But it didn't feel chaotic. No, it was very well structured. I uh, I also like the book ending of the song. However, I thought it would have been more effective had Isaac not played it the time when he did. Like, having it in three times was a little bit too much. It was like, oh, okay. Like, we're doing that over and over. But if they had just done it at the beginning and at the end, I think it would have been more effective that way. Yeah. I wonder why they used the same song. Maybe it's because they got the rights to it and they just wanted to use it in uh, the show as much as possible. Well, like you said, it has the tie to Casablanca. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just a thematic reason for using it. Yeah. And I think that happens in a lot of these episodes, that there's some sort of secret references mm-hmm. and thematic ties, which I think is kind of cool. And since we're analyzing episodes more closely, I miss it 
because I don't pay attention to that stuff. But now that we're diving in, I think it's cool that they add things that are Easter eggs for pop culture or similar. Yeah. Like Kermit the Frog on his desk makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What is your big takeaway from Jaloja? Oh, boy. I feel like I'm really excited to jump into season two again. Mm -hmm. Just just starting this, I'm like, I'm excited for the next episode. And I enjoyed that there were more themes, more plots, more subplots, more characters involved than just like a handful per episode. Mm -hmm. And I feel like character development, like we're now in like that routine where we're comfortable with the characters and we're we're learning more about them and they're more comfortable with each other. So I enjoyed that aspect of the start of the season mm. that it's just starting off with with a bang almost but with just more flow yeah and i really liked that and i enjoyed this whole episode i don't know that there's one necessarily thing that stood out to me but just that it, it was i feel like i learned a lot about all the characters and now i'm excited to see what happens for se- season two i think it was a good setup yeah totally i uh i don't have a lot to say about the episode aside from the fact that i just enjoyed it yeah not only did we get to spend pretty much the whole time on the Orville itself, and you know how I feel about that, mm-hmm. but we we spent, like you said, the entire episode learning more about all the characters and kind of checking in on where their relationships are currently at. So that was kind of cool. Uh, the one thing that kind of struck me, especially on the second watch through, is Topa. Yeah. So he's much older now, and years definitely have not passed in between seasons. So I looked into it because I had to know. Okay. There was a Paley Fest panel where both Peter Macon and Chad Coleman addressed this. Mm-hmm. They said that Mocklins develop much faster than humans do. And while it's only been months since the season one finale, Topa has grown to the equivalent of an eight-year-old human, both physically and mentally. That's what I had canon. Mm. Like when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, he probably develops faster because he's a Mocklin. Yeah. But it's kind of cool that the actors... It's a fine explanation. It works great. Yeah. I just wish they included it somewhere. I'm curious now going forward, and I'm going to pay more attention in the episodes, mm-hmm. if they do ever address that. I wonder if they do. Maybe they do. Uh, it definitely wasn't here. No. Which does make it a little odd. You're like, oh, whoa, Topa, what happened? Like, <laughs> But it's interesting that like I knew it was Topa. Yeah. Well, they did say it was, but yeah, who else would it be, honestly? Oh, yeah, they did say it. Yeah, at the end. But I just didn't even think anything of it. I was like, yeah, Topa's a small, small child now. That's fine. Like, I didn't, I didn't, maybe my headcanon was already ahead of itself and was like, nope, maybe it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Because it's right. It's only been a few months. So it's not likely that a human baby could grow that fast. So clearly a Mocklin can. That was the only thing in the episode that struck me as odd. Aside from that, like I said, I really enjoyed this. It was, it was a nice totally rewatchable fun episode that did a little something for everybody agreed i think that it was a really well-rounded episode yeah it's a great way to start season two yeah yay before we get out of here we have one more thing to do because katie's husband mark is a big fan of the orville as well and always leaves us with his one sentence review Thankfully, the place I chose at childhood for my geloja was a toilet. 
Quantum Drive is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on the Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays, and Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.